Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Some of those dark thoughts that are still there, that's a good place to put them, right? Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And it starts now. Another exciting episode of Screamy Chewy Show, and uh, I'd like to welcome special guest, author and writer Aaron Liebel. Hey man, how you doing? Yeah man, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Not bad for a Friday. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me on the show. Oh yeah, man, I appreciate you uh, coming on actually and reaching out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Oh yeah, man. So go ahead, and tell me about yourself. Tell me about your book, man. It looks pretty fucking dark and uh, very interesting. Yeah, I appreciate that. It is pretty dark. Um, I am. I live in Canada. Uh, I work with uh, with youth, and I have for a long time. Um, so a lot of my inspiration kind of came from from that, from hearing a lot of stories and that kind of stuff. Um, the story is totally fictional, but it's basically like about a a young kid who gets kind of screwed over by his family and sold into prostitution and it with a gang and all that kind of stuff, and ends up being uh, basically kidnapped by them until he's like in his teens. And then uh, they're going to kill him. So he manages to escape. And then the second half of the story is basically just a lot of brutal murders of, of him getting his revenge on all these people that have kind of wronged him over his years. So. Damn. Fuck, man. So it's like a kind of like a dark revenge theme kind of deal. Right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So the first half of the book kind of gives you like reason to believe that this guy deserves vengeance. You know what I mean? It's like it's. I don't know. The killing is kind of justified in the second half based on what happens in the first half, right? So, so you get a lot of sympathy for him, huh? Yeah, it kind of builds the character up a little bit and kind of gets you to know like what his life was like, and and then goes from there. So. And the fucked up part is shit like that really happens all the time, you know? People get oh, kidnapped yeah. and get into sex trafficking, and yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. Some of the stories that you hear from some people, it's unreal, like how you know how far it can go it's sad and you know but unfortunately there's not a lot you can really do about it other than offer to help people or reach out or do what you can right Mm -hmm. spread the word yeah for sure so what inspired you to write this book um i think well i wrote a different book first Uh, i'm gonna probably publish that one in september and it was uh kind of the concept of like it's more the life of a drug addict so it's kind of like uh, trying to understand like how someone can go from small things happening to escalating to the point of going to jail and going to treatment and all that kind of stuff. So my original idea was to do like kind of a trilogy. So it was going to be like each book was going to be like a totally different story, but kind of on the same concept of like we live our life. And then when we die, we go to like wherever and we have 
insight on everything. And it's like, there's almost like a grading system. So the, your, your lives get more and more challenging as you go. So this book was the second one of that. So it was basically like the most challenging kind of life that I could think about. So it was like trying to purposely make it as hard on this character as possible just to kind of go with the whole storyline. But I ended up just making it a standalone book, um, but I'm still gonna publish the other one when it's, when it's ready. That sounds like a very interesting concept. It's almost like level up, right? More challenging. Yeah, it's almost, I don't know, almost like the whole Buddha idea of like Nirvana kind of thing where you come back and you know what I mean? You have to be a certain, I don't know, I don't really label it as anything specific. It was more just like a concept of like, you know, people talk about the concept of old souls and like that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Just kind of playing off that, like someone who might be an old soul might be in their, you know, 100th life where someone who's more naive and doesn't understand things might only be in their 15th life. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of the premise anyway, the thought process, but uh, it's kind of hard to, to put it out there in writing with the story. Like it almost, I don't know, I kind of prefer to have it the standalone book for this one, but it's still a fun concept, right? So. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Damn it, <laughs> some pretty fucked up shit. But like, like we're saying, you know, it's real. It could be. Who knows, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so this guy, what, as he gets older, and uh, does he track down the people that kidnapped him, or is it like other people he murders? Yeah, I think the well, the first one that he kills is the one that's gonna kill him, and then he kind of tracks down the second one by chance, and then kind of goes from there through the. And it, a lot of them sort of coincidentally end up where he is, or he goes back to the house where he was held captive and they're there watching it and a few things like that. So, I mean, it's, it's believable, so it works out. But uh, yeah, some of them are kind of chance encounters. Damn, man. <laughs> and, and what's the book title? Genocide. Genocide. Damn, man. That sounds like a badass brutal band or something. Yeah. Well, the idea like genocide is when you kill a whole group of people, right? So the idea was like the gang is that group of people. So it's like at one point in the book, it's like, this is going to be more than a murder. This is going to be a genocide. <laughs> Take them all out. Damn, like the Punisher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wow, man. And um, any other books you got in, in mind or planning on or something? Uh, yeah, I'm working on a new one. Um, it's called Quarantine. Uh, it's basically, I had the idea before any of this COVID stuff happened, but I, I couldn't think of a reason why the guy's wife would be home for a couple of weeks without anyone asking any questions. And then all of a sudden this stuff happened. So it's like, well, that's pretty much perfect reason. <laughs> so that's uh, it's, basically, crazy. <laughs> it's basically about a guy who is like an alcoholic and, um, basically enters a psychosis. So the book is kind of like, so far, I'm about 10 chapters in, and it takes place just in his house, but there's some murder involved, and I got to stick with my roots to doing some murders, and um, him just kind of going crazy and hallucinating, and uh, yeah, that's, it's kind of a psychological book more than anything so far. Fuck yeah, man. That sounds fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun to write them, because you can, I don't know, I just love using your imagination and coming up with different, you know, a lot of like... A lot of times in our own lives where something could happen, it's like, well, what's worst case scenario? And you, you know what I mean? A lot of times we make better decisions not to end up in worst case scenario, but it's kind of fun to be like, well, what if I would have made this decision? And kind of, you know what I mean? Like go to the extreme of how bad things could be if you let them, you know? 
you know, and, and that's funny too, because yeah, you're always, a, you know, I always find myself like, yeah, like you're, you're just saying you think of the worst case scenario, like, you know, you're at a restaurant eating and then you just get random thoughts. Like what if somebody just came in with a fucking gun? Like, what would I do? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or if you were in like, you know, the stores that have those glass countertops and it's like glass all the way down. I think a lot of people get the urge to kick those, <laughs> you know, I don't know why. <laughs> It's just like a weird impulse, but we're all able to control ourselves. So it's like, you know, on a different scale, like thinking of making a character that would go ahead and do that. And you know what I mean? Like a life kind of like that of, you know, making these impulsive decisions that most of us just think about and walk past, right? Yeah. Huh? Like, hey, what if, what if I didn't, what, what if I wasn't able to hold back, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of what ifs. <laughs> And there is people like that. Oh, yeah, for sure there is. Yeah. So I think, I don't know, I mean, a lot of people don't understand people with mental illnesses and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I don't understand all of it myself, but I like to kind of use, put myself in their position and kind of try to shed some light on things in that kind of way. Like my book is all written from the main character's perspective. So it's written like as if you're the one living it. You know what I mean? So it's... uh. I don't know. I, I hope it kind of puts that out there. Like it gives you that empathy or that seeing it from their perspective as to why they make the decisions that they make, you know? Oh, I see. So it makes sense to them in the moment why they're doing it. Yeah. And even if it's not the decision you would make, at least maybe it would give you a little bit of insight as to why someone else might make that decision. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe help you tolerate some of the people that you don't understand a little bit better. Right. Hey, that's, that's good, man understanding is better you know because you're like you said we don't understand a lot of people that can't control their impulses or their behavior and you know you don't know what they're going through yeah and there's a lot of judgment and then that comes with being angry and it's like it's easier to avoid all that just by trying to be empathetic and try to see it from their perspective and then you get you feel less pissed off every day and i mean that's a good thing for you right so why not like you could witness somebody being murdered and you're like, oh shit, that guy's a killer. Then you're like, wait, maybe he got sex trafficked and he's getting revenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once you know the story, it makes a lot more sense, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so so why murder, man? Uh, are you into dark stuff? Because I mean, I know I like violent video games and stories and movies. I, I love that shit. Yeah, I always have been. Like, I love horror movies, and I've always been into, like, darker, on that side of things, you know what I mean? Like, I liked a lot of, uh, a lot of the music I listened to growing up was all very, like, kind of emotional-driven music, and, like, stuff that had meaning, and stuff that was kind of more, you know, in that sort of mindset, so it's kind of always been a big part of me, and uh, when I started doing addictions counseling, I started, like, basically being more optimistic all the time. And when I stopped, I did that for eight years. And it's almost oh, like when I stopped that, some of some of my old thoughts started coming back, but like in a way that I can channel them and manage them from everything that I've learned. Like, you know what I mean? Instead of, I was a drug addict before. So I mean, that, not necessarily the most productive life, right? Mm-hmm. So once I got clean and then was the addictions counselor, then after quitting, now I'm kind of using writing as an outlet. So some of those dark thoughts that are still there, it's a good place to put them, right? Wow, that's that's pretty fucking that's badass, dude. Uh, so you kind of lived through that dark stuff, you know? I mean, not not like I'm saying you murder people, but you know, yeah. 
yeah yeah there was definitely uh periods of my life that were pretty pretty dark and you know you kind of get to the point where it, it sort of feels like it's part of who you are you know what i mean and i don't know like it's hard to identifies you yeah like that just the, those thoughts and those feelings and that way of living is kind of part of you and I don't know. I mean, you can always, like, I, I've made big changes in my life. Um, I'm doing a lot better now. I'm clean. I've been clean for 11 years now. Almost oh. July. Um, Congrats, so, man. Thanks, man. So, like, that's a good feeling, and that's good, you know what I mean? And it, it gives me hope, and part of what I do is try to give hope to other people, too. But then, but a book like Genocide, I don't know if that's really very hope-inspiring, but I, I hope people like it, at least, you know? At least yeah. for entertainment value. You got to have these creative outlets, you know, and uh, people need to get away. And even if it's just immer immersing yourself in a book, you know, just it's a stress reliever, or just, you know, entertainment. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like nobody's, well, not nobody's, but I mean, people's lives typically aren't as bad as the characters in the story. So hopefully it can make people feel better, too. Right. That Sometimes people find solace in, in other people's misery, right? So. Hey, for sure, man. It makes you think, ah, my life's not so bad after all, you know? Yeah, exactly. Especially since people nowadays stress about first world problems. Like, oh my God, yeah. I broke my charger for my phone. What am I going to do in my life? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's frustrating sometimes, but I mean, it's kind of, I guess generations change, right? I mean, I'm, I'm finding, I'm almost 40 now, so... It's weird. I remember when I was younger, I had a friend who was a teenager in the 80s. And I'm like, oh, this guy's stuck in the 80s. And now, I'm like, here I am. And I'm, like, stuck in the 90s. Like, I'm 100% stuck in the 90s. And I can admit that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? bro. Fucking, yeah, dude, the 90s, man. That's my shit right there. Fucking Ren and Scipio <laughs> on Nickelodeon. Yep, yep. <laughs> I tell people that was my SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then the late 80s when I was a kid was Ninja Turtles and Ghostbusters and all that stuff, too. Oh, and my God. I used to fucking have the Ninja Turtle shoes. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I actually have a pair of Doc Martin Ninja Turtles. They're Damn. pretty sick. I don't wear them very much, though, because they're, like, I really like them, so I don't want to trash them, but they're pretty cool. <laughs> Keep them clean, yo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's so much shit in the 90s that, like, would not fly these days. No, even just watching some of the old sitcoms and some of the terms they use and like a lot of that stuff, people would be like outraged about it now. <laughs> For sure. And the violence, even like Looney Tunes changed. Yeah. I noticed like five years ago, they like re rebooted them. Um, and it wasn't Tiny Tunes. That was like. That was the cartoon with a. Uh, the bunny Babs and Buster Bunny, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they yeah. re re revamped or rebooted uh, Looney Tunes, and it was weird. It was more like politically correct, but like remember Taz, how he'd be crazy, like blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, they made him like fucking creepy. Like I remember Bugs Bunny was talking to Daffy Duck, and he's like, "What's wrong with Taz?" And they showed Taz like looking up a tree like with red eyes like he's gonna murder something and there's like scared <laughs> cats hiding in the tree i'm like what the fuck is he gonna fucking eat them or <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's funny though i actually took something from looney tunes too even in my time with addictions was like there's one scene that i remember where um 
I think it was Bugs and Daffy, and they start pulling guns on each other. I don't know if you remember this or not. So it's like then they they keep both bringing out bigger and bigger and bigger guns, and it gets to the point where they show like the planet, and it's like the guns are that big where they're like <laughs> coming up out of the planet, pointing at each other. I used to use that a lot when kids were having fights because it's like you know you guys are just this is all you're doing. You're just pointing bigger guns at each other, trying to one up. So, I don't, each I don't other. know. Okay, but yeah and um yeah. so if you don't mind talking about it it's okay if you don't do that uh your your addiction what what were you addicted to uh it ended up like heroin opiates i mean it did crack and I, I did pretty much everything i started when i was 15 but the actual physical addiction was like heroin and then i got on methadone and i was on methadone for a few years and that was really hard to get off of so <laughs> i relapsed it after that is methadone what they used to get off of heroin? Yeah, I think there's other, like, Suboxone and stuff now, but back when I was using it, it was pretty much the, the only option. I mean, the thing is, it, it's legal, and it's a prescription, so people look at it like you're getting better, but, I mean, you're basically just kind of still using in a legal sense, you know what I mean? You just replace just, it. Yeah, it's a synthetic opiate. Like, it, if, if someone who didn't do it were to take it, like, you'd get high off of it. So, so is that, like, Oxycontin kind of? Well, you'd use it to get off oxy. Like oxy is an actual opiate, and methadone like blocks the receptors. So if you were on methadone and you took an oxy, you wouldn't feel it. That's the idea, anyway. I see. Cause I mean, I've taken oxy one time. I did not like it, bro. But I was already drunk. I was all fucked up drinking Budweiser, and my homie's like, "Hey, dude, here, take this pill." And I'm like, "What is it?" He's like, "It's oxy. It's like seven Vicodin or something like that." And he's yeah. like. But it's time release, so chew it. It'll hit you faster. I'm like, all right. I chewed it. It fucking tasted like shit, but I fucking downed mm -hmm. it. And like an hour later, dude, I was sick, bro. I was throwing up. Fucking, oh, it was horrible. Yeah. yeah, the first time you do opiates, you throw up a lot. And I remember the first time I did heroin, I puked really bad. Once you like kind of get used to it, you stop doing that. But that's, that's pretty normal. And oxys are very up and down. Like you, you go up quick. And then you crash quick, so oh. yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. And like heroin, like I mean, I wouldn't try it because honestly, it looks so good. Like mm -hmm. on, on the documentaries when people are shooting up, like they, they don't even take the needle out and they're already like passing out. I'm like, god damn, yo. Yeah, I mean, it's that's there is an allure to it, but then you got to look at like those same people and what they look like you know what i mean like after years of addiction and what they're doing to get it and you got to look at the big picture but oh i mean yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean it, uh, i don't know obviously there's there's good things about her i wouldn't have kept doing it for all those years but at the same time getting clean is probably the best decision i've ever made in my life because i'm a lot happier now you know nice. it's almost like once you get like hooked on it it's like you need it just to feel normal like that you're still kind of get high but like it's more like you're sick if you don't have it so you're constantly trying to get rid of that sickness as opposed to even worried about getting high you know fuck so it's almost just like just yeah like you're saying you just want to feel normal yeah so once you get clean you feel normal all the time right so well relatively normal anyway not constantly <laughs> looking for that you know yeah, exactly. You don't need to maintain it, and you know, I mean, you lose a lot of relationships, and you know, all the all the stuff that goes along with it. But uh, yeah, it's I, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade the experience because I think that all the decisions I've made in my life have got me where I'm at right now. 
and I'm happy where I'm at now. I mean, it took a while, but I'm happy now and I feel like I'm doing what I want to do. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think I would go back and change anything even if I could, because I think it all kind of created my character. You know what I mean? For sure, man, definitely. And, and it helped you help others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've still kept in contact with some of the kids from the rehab and it's really nice to hear when you get a message from them or something, just letting you know they're doing good or they got a job or they're, you know what I mean? Like it's a good feeling. I mean, it's a collective effort, right? There's a lot of people that would work there. So it wasn't just me, but sometimes you have a conversation with a kid that they remember that resonates with them. And, you know, I don't know, it feels good. Oh, for sure. They'll remember you forever. You know, even if it's just something you said. Yeah. Yeah, just showing them the, the time and effort to to show that you're interested in their life and you're interested in making them, you know, helping them get better, right? So a lot of the kids you see don't really have that, right? They don't come from a place that was very supportive in some cases. Or I mean, it's all situational. There's tons of different, any situation you can imagine, you know what I mean? You're going to probably run into at some point when you're dealing with, uh, with teenagers. So um, I had a homie, uh, he's clean now. He's been clean for like a year and a half. But uh, he got addicted to meth. And so I worked with him for 10 years. And he was a good guy, you know, responsible. And, you know, like, you know, I'll, I'll drink and stuff. And he would drink, too. And we'd get drunk on the weekend sometimes and hang out after work. But then he got into meth. And, like, you could tell when somebody's doing it, right? Like, oh, yeah. He'd come into work. And, he, I mean, he's a white dude, like, Irish guy. But... He would come in fucking pale. Like, I'm like, yo, dude, you look more white than you usually are. (laughs) And like, he had a fuck, he had just bought a house, you know, and uh, he had a whole bunch of money in the bank, like a lot. And he got hooked on meth, man, lost all that money. He lost his house. He was homeless. And I still talk to him. And when he was homeless, he would message me once in a while, like, He'd use Wi-Fi from some places, and mm. he'd always be like, "Fucking dude, I'm gonna fucking OD on meth today. I'm gonna fucking kill myself." And I'm like, "Why, dude?" He's like, "Cause you know it's fucking horrible." And I'm like, well, "Why do you keep doing it?" Like, I mean, I, of course, addiction is very powerful. It's not like you can just stop like that, right? But you know, now he tells yeah. me when he was, he'd go dumpster diving sometimes. And he said one time he was so fucking high because I guess he, he would smoke it off a bong and he he would smoke a bowl of meth from a bong and he'd be high for like 10 hours. Yeah. And he said he was in an alley, like a dark alley, and he felt like something was hunting him. I'm like, what the fuck, yo? Yeah. Yeah, meth is like really bad for playing with your mind. Like I, I've never, I only did it a couple times when I was younger and it didn't really do anything for me, but I've seen people that are addicted to it and there's their way they're thinking, you know? Well, I mean, even if you've ever stayed up for like a couple of days, like, you know, you, you get fuzzy, like you, everything feels surreal and that's when you're sober. I mean, like picture being on meth and being awake for four or five days at a time, like your reality is going to be not there, right? So yeah. I don't know, I mean... Meth is one of the ones that, like, I, I find the most, like, I don't, I don't know if I want to use the word disturbing, but, I mean, it's it's a pretty crazy drug, and it does pretty crazy things to people. Even if you ever see those uh, things on the internet, like, timelines of people's mugshots when they're meth addicts, and it's like, it starts out with them looking like a nice person, and then it's, like, slowly goes to them looking like some kind of monster, you know? And that's within, like, five years or something, you know? It's not even, like, a long time. 
Yeah, it's all chemicals, right? Like it's all just garbage in there. Like it's definitely not good. So I don't know. I mean, the thing about like ending up dumpster diving and all that stuff, it's it's kind of weird how like your morals can slip when you get into addiction. Like one day, like right now, you have a certain set of morals that you live by, right? Like you wouldn't do this or you wouldn't do that. But if when you're an addict, it's almost like one day you just take one step down from that and all of a sudden you'll be okay with doing this. And, you know, before you know it, you've taken so many steps down and you're just so used to it that like something like that might not even phase him. You know, it's just like it's happened so gradually that he's at the point of willing to jump in the dumpster to look for food or money or whatever he's doing. Right. It's it's sad, but it's kind of it's like a slow process, you know, that's kind of like one of the things that like, I would like write about, like we're like showing that process, that steps of like, so that people could understand it a little bit more. Like you'd walk by and see a guy in the dumpster and you're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? He's jumping in the dumpster. You know what I mean? But if you knew his story and you saw the progression of how he got there, he, he might have a little bit of a different point of view on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when you're homeless and you're hungry, you're, you're going to find something, you know? Yeah, exactly, right? But some people have a hard time understanding that when they're when you don't have those morals, when you have higher morals than that, that if you were hungry, you would wait, or you, you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't be going into a dumpster for food, mm-hmm. but you're not at that point, right? So it's it's interesting. And I could totally see that because us humans, we're very good at adapting to environments or certain situations, you know, like, uh, I know this is a very different situation, but like if uh, oh, someone's in an abusive relationship, right? And they, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you also think like, why don't you just leave them? Just just leave them. You know, it's like telling a drug addict, just stop doing it. Just stop it right now. And yeah. but but they're used to that life, like it's normal to them now. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's pretty much exactly the same thing. It's like your morals slip. So like you're in a relationship that seems healthy, and then one day they yell at you. And then that becomes, okay, well, you know, I'll accept that. And then the next time they hit you and then the next time, and it's like, before you know it, you're stuck in there. And it's the same idea, right? Someone from outside could look at that, like you said, and be like, just leave, walk away. But it's not so easy for the person who's trapped in it, right? The Universe of Every Religion and None, written by Roderick Edwards, narrated by John Ashton Nickerson. Roderick Edwards is the author of books as varied as a fictional account of a person living in a deserted world to an autobiography about his adoption and reunion to this book about the universe. Find out more at RoderickE.com. Mm-hmm. Starts from a happy rela- relationship to Hey, it's five o'clock. He's getting off work, so he's gonna show up and beat me up right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's two extremes, but it doesn't happen in one step, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, man. So a lot of your experiences. So um, of course, you know you love with the horror movies and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, but when you write about that, do you ever find yourself in like your past self? Like, uh, maybe when you're tripping or something, like, wild thoughts like that or something? Um, I don't know. I think there's definitely part of me in everything. I mean, even if it's not personal experience specifically, I think that it's, like, 
thoughts that I've had or like, you know, sometimes when you feel like so down on yourself, you just, you, you sometimes just feel like lashing out, you know what I mean? And it's kind of like taking that and running with it in a more extreme kind of way. Right. So I think that, um, the concept is a lot based on sort of my feelings, but not necessarily the situation specifically, if that makes sense. Nice. It's like therapy, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't know. I, I mean, I like, I like exercising this part of my brain. That's, that's what got me into addictions in the first place. Uh, I was actually, um, had an assault charge and I had to do a court ordered, um, group, like a men's group kind of thing. And, um, I started like, at first I was like, I don't want to do this. And then, uh, I started going and I actually started kind of looking forward to it. Cause it was like, we talk like this, you know what I mean? Like uh, about real things and about concepts and ideas. And, um, yeah, then I actually even, by the time it was done, I had a couple people come up to me and be like, you know what you said, like really helped me and really like, you know, made me enjoy this course a lot more, take a lot more out of it. And that was kind of one of the turning points that made me think like, I got to do something different with my life and why not go into something that I enjoy? Cause I love talking about it. Like, it's just, I find it interesting and it's compelling and I just, I enjoy it. So, you know, why not do it for a job? Right. Hell yeah, man, for sure. And uh, you're saving lives, you know, cause there's people out there that they think nobody cares, you know? Yeah. And for some people it's really hard to talk about a lot of stuff. and. Um, I don't know. I think it, it was something that I was always naturally kind of drawn to ever since I was younger. Like I met, I met a friend when I was younger that kind of had that kind of conversation with me and it sort of inspired me to kind of want to have that other conversation with other people. And I mean, it wasn't always well received, but it was always something that I enjoyed doing. Right. So unfortunately, a lot of the times I was also on acid or whatever else. Right. But, you know, <laughs> Damn acid, man. I've never done that. I've heard some wild stories. Yeah, that stuff messed me up. I did it for probably about five years, and like as much as I could get pretty much. And I, I think it, it almost put me over the edge if I would have kept doing it. I don't know if I would have ever come back from it. Going up permafry. Yeah, like it was just, it was almost like every time you took it, you were like <clears throat> continuing where you left off the last time with your thoughts and what was going on. And it just, it got, I don't know, man. It got almost out of control for me. For real, man. So it's almost like when the trip ends, you like bookmark it <laughs> till next yeah, time. I'm, yeah, pretty much. Like, I, I don't know. It was weird. Maybe it's just the way my brain works. I don't know if it's like that for everybody, but that's definitely what it was like for me. So it'd be like, I don't know, I'm just picking up and running with it and seeing how far you can go. And I don't know, man. I almost went too far, I think. But that's crazy. <laughs> So what were the trips like? Um, I never really had a lot of like hallucinations or anything like that. I did the very, very first time I did acid, uh, me and my buddy took a picture of ourselves with his Polaroid camera. So like the flash, the, it was like a square flash, like, you know, those old ones. So we started seeing like these squares like floating around and I figure after it's probably because your pupils get really, really big. Right. So like the light is normally your pupils get smaller in higher light, but on acid they don't so like you put too much light comes into your eyes and you start seeing shit so that was the first that was the only time i ever really saw things that weren't there like physically but otherwise it was just like more mental for me and it was more like i don't know it made me feel like somehow enlightened or like i'd somehow 
figure things out that they couldn't normally figure out or had like a, a clearer picture of the world and I don't know that that kind of stuff right so wow but then sometimes I'd like have some great idea when I was on acid and then like look at it when I was sober and be like what the hell is this you know <laughs> so it's like when you're stoned and you find a meaning of life yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah and I could totally see how somebody could get addicted to that you know especially how you're saying uh you think more clearly and everything makes more sense like that's pretty crazy man yeah i mean i don't know if it changed the way that i think because i did it you know what i mean like i can't i couldn't i can't go back and not do it and tell you if i think the same way now that i you know what i mean like i have no idea so i don't know i think some people believe that it changes your consciousness and the way you think but i i i couldn't tell you for sure i got, I got no definitive answer on that one I could definitely see that, you know, especially if it opens your mind to certain other ways, like whether if it's good or bad, if you have more thoughts that you would have never had before, yeah. you're definitely going to remember that maybe, you know? Yeah. It's just like everything's so intense when you're on it. It's like, would I have had that thought before or not? You know what I mean? Like maybe it just feels like a bigger deal because everything's so intense. Like, I don't know. I mean, looking back on that, that's one of the drugs that I question. Again, I don't. I wouldn't take it back. I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything because I. I am who I am, and I'm happy with that. But like, I kind of wonder if I would be different if I never got into that stuff because that was that was a pretty big part of my life for for a while. You ever heard of a DMT? Yeah, I've never tried that. That's that was like uh, came out more after I was clean already. So that's one thing I would like to try because I mean. I've seen a documentary about it, and of course, Seth Rogen talks about it. He's taken it a few times. Mm -hmm. And everybody that's taken it says that it's fucking changed their lives. Yeah. I think it's the same idea as acid, like, but lasts a lot less. Like, I think DMT only lasts for, like, a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. But, yeah. like, they had, like, conversations with God and shit, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's there's sometimes where I get tempted, but I'm like, at this point, I'm not going to risk my sobriety yet. You know what I mean? Like there's times where like, you know, I was like, yeah, maybe we should do mushrooms or something, but it's like, there's no point. Like, I, I don't know what it's going to do to me. And I've got this much clean time in, but DMT was one of those ones. And mescaline is actually one I never did that I always wanted to do. But uh, I don't, I don't think at this point in my life, I would try it. Is that like a muscle relaxer or something? Mescaline? Mm -hmm. It's like peyote, peyote. It's like the cactus buttons. Oh, fuck. I've done peyote. Yeah. <laughs> I did it one time. This, this guy I went to high school with, he was a, in a, he was a native. Um, I think it was Yaki tribe, Basqua or something. But um, he gave me some. It was a little piece. Like, uh, like fuck, I don't know how to explain the size. Uh, but it was tiny, and uh, it was like a like half a cherry size or something. Yeah. And um, I shared it with my buddy. We made a tea out of it. Of course, this was a long time ago, like over ten years ago. And uh, we made a tea out of it. So we boiled it, and then we drank the tea, and then we smoked a lot of weed while we we're drinking the tea, and then we dehydrated the the what was left, and then we smoked that. So I don't know right. if we did it right or not. I don't know, because it was, like, all fuzzy. It looked weird, like. And some mm. people were saying it has a coating of poisonous shit. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. 
But, yeah, it's like a cactus button, right? It's like so I think they chop them up. I think you're supposed to chew it and spit it out, and not swallow it, because the oh. I don't know. I'm not sure though. I never. I just I grew up in a small town, so it was never available. I mean, if I was somewhere probably like where you are, I'd probably would have tried it when I was younger. Yeah, dude. And like I didn't like fully hallucinate, but I definitely felt like I, I was close. Like if I would have taken more, I think I would have hallucinated. Like I yeah. was, it was more like a feeling and like mental thing. Like I was watching Family Guy, and like I don't know why, dude. Like I didn't even find it funny. Like I felt creeped the fuck out by watching Family Guy. Like I yeah. don't know how to explain it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how that happens. I was I remember I was over at a friend's house, and my girlfriend and I at the time both did acid, and all of a sudden her dad comes to us and's like, "They have to get out of here. They have to leave right now," and I was just like so scared like I was just like watch and I still to this day have no idea why they kicked us out maybe they knew we were doing acid I don't know <laughs> I'm like having to call my mom to come pick us up for a ride and like my legs are shaking and I'm like, just like terrified out of my mind I don't know and just a lot of weird things like that where it's like you just see things differently and sometimes it's like you know I don't know not realistic but <laughs> you know yeah almost like anxiety sometimes right yeah, sometimes because it's such a strong feeling, and if it goes in the wrong direction, it, it's like bad feelings amplified, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. like, uh, did you ever try that K two or um, it was that synthetic marijuana? No, um, I actually stopped smoking weed like not too long after high school. Oh, okay. Well, this stuff was nothing like weed. They called it synthetic marijuana but it was sage and they would spray chemicals on it. And it was actually incense, but people would smoke it. And um, mm-hmm. people were dying off and it was very addictive. And you know, a long time ago, like when it started getting popular, I actually started smoking it. And dude, like, and it was, I was living with my buddy, his dad rented a, his old house. He got a new house and the old house he rented it out to me and him. And he's like, yeah, you know, if you want to smoke weed, smoke outside, please. But he let me smoke that K2 inside the house. I'd be smoking in my room. And that shit, dude, it was nothing like weed. Like, as soon as you hit it, it would fucking, boom, hit me fucking intense. And, like, almost numb me. Like, I would get stuck, dude. Like, I would be staring at the sc- my TV, like a fucking Netflix menu, for, like, 10 minutes just staring in my own thoughts. <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes it would my thoughts would go into a very dark place. Like I would go like I would get very paranoid. It would only last like 10, 15 minutes and go away. But mm. I would get like very paranoid. And I had one time I had such dark thoughts, like it freaked me out. I was thinking yeah. like, yo, what if you're not high right now? What if you're just like killing murdering your family with an axe right now and you have no idea like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would freak you out for sure oh, I wonder if it's the same, uh, we have some we had something here for a while called salvia that's it, it it's is that. That the same thing mm-hmm. yeah I, I tried that a couple times it didn't work for me it's weird some of these drugs just didn't work for me but uh we used to be able to buy it from the convenience store mm-hmm yeah 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 it's the same stuff yeah or um, ketamine was another one that was pretty bad too. I didn't really do it very much, but like just speaking of being numb and not being able to move, if you do too much ketamine, it's like that's like one of the only drugs I ever did that I actually threw up off of. 
except for heroin when I first started it, but like ketamine, like I just remember seeing all these colors and I just went and I couldn't even make it out of the bedroom. I threw up in a cardboard box. It was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that stuff's pretty nasty. Is that what they call special K? Yeah, yeah. It's like an animal tranquilizer. Fuck, dude. And what is that, like a powder form or you smoke it or? I think it originally comes in a liquid, but usually when you buy it, it's a powder. And I remember like the first time I got it, I think I thought it was Coke. Like my buddy just offered it to me and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I did it. And the first time wasn't bad. But then the second time we were doing a lot of Coke. So like when we cut out the ketamine, we kind of cut it out in lines like that you would Coke, like bigger lines and took way too much of it. And Damn. just like, yeah, it was like almost instant regret. And it felt like hours, but it, it really wasn't like, it felt like, just laying on the bed there, not being able to move. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's pretty intense, especially if you take too much. Holy shit, man. You fucking vegetate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It sucks because you feel like you physically can't move sometimes if you're in a K-hole. It's like, it's, it's rough. Wouldn't I recommend a K-hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you ever try like PCP or anything like that? No, again, that wasn't anything that was around here in my area. Like, I, I grew there was like cow pastures across the street from my school. So, I mean, <laughs> we had quite a few drugs, but there were some that just never made their way to us. But I mean, back then, when I was, you know, teenager, young 20s, I would have done pretty much anything, I think. <laughs> Yo, fuck <laughs> it. Bring it over. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I was in a pretty rough place back then. So, I mean, I didn't, my, you know, my moral compass was set to pretty low when it came to what I would put into my body. <laughs> Didn't really care, huh? Yeah, no. <laughs> but I think that's also part of being young, you know? Yeah, I think there's an experimentation phase, but I mean, everybody kind of does it differently. I mean, some people smoke weed a few times and they're like, okay, I got my rebellious stage out. Now I'm going to, you know what I mean? Keep moving or some of us just go into it a little, a little head first and have a hard time knowing when to stop right yeah i think that's true sure. you get some people that are like 30 or 40 and still act like they're 16 because they've just been doing the same shit since high school right yeah or people they're like you know like you're saying 30 or 40 and they're like and they smoke weed all day every day at work no matter where i'm like god damn bro like is that yeah. even fun like <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I used to work with a guy that was still doing math and he was in his 40s. And it was like, he wasn't, he was an, he was weird, man. He was just like so unpredictable. Like he'd be like happy one minute and then angry the next minute and acting like a little kid. And like, it's just like, how do you still live like that at your age? Like, you gotta, you know, but I mean, I, I understand. I guess that goes back to the whole steps thing of like how you get to that point, right? Like, you used to tell a lot of the kids at rehab, like, yeah, you're only 16 now, you know, you got time to change. But if you don't change, like, you could very well keep doing the same shit. And sooner than later, you're going to wake up and realize, you know what, I'm 30, I'm 40, and I'm still acting the same way I did when I was 16, right? So, yeah, uh, I used to work graveyard, and uh, there was this new guy that started working with us in graveyard shift, and he looked like Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. He looked like that. <laughs> And, like, yeah. you could tell he was, like, a meth head, but I didn't want to, like, judge. But he would, like, drink a whole pot of coffee in one shift, and he was always, like, <laughs> wired up and shit. 
And I'm like, well, maybe he just loves coffee. And but like, <laughs> as soon as he got his first paycheck, he just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's sad to see, like, you know. It's weird, though, because in high school, like, the people that are doing all that stuff are labeled as, like, the cooler kids that are doing all this crazy stuff. And then they don't seem to realize once you kind of age out of that, you're not. it's not so cool anymore. You're, you know what I mean? You're not really looked at as, like, the cool guy for getting in trouble and doing drugs and, you know. Yeah, that's, like those, uh, oh, that's sorry. very true. I'll go ahead, bro. I'm just going to say that's very true, man. Yeah. Like, it, it's weird, like, some of the, I don't know, if, when you were in high school, was there, like, when you were 17, 18, was there, like, that 23-year-old guy that still hung out with all the high school kids? You know that guy? <laughs> He's that fucking Matthew McConaughey guy. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, 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 just like that. Yeah, that's kind of, I remember thinking about that in, in high school, because we had a couple of those that lingered around that were still, you know, hanging out with high school kids, because that's who they could relate to. They weren't growing up yet. They weren't making any difference in their lives, so... They're still relating to 14, 15 year old high school kids, and it's just kind of sad, you know. I have a couple buddies that were like that actually, uh, because they're you know, one of my buddies, Frankie, this motherfucker would like miss so much school because he would have a hard time waking up early to go to school, he was just lazy, and so he got behind and he was in a charter school. And I think the max age is 21, and then you can't go to school no more. So he was like 20, about to turn 21 in high school. He was like the oldest motherfucker there. Yeah. Well, at least he had a reason if he didn't have his credits. Like, it's not mm. like he had graduated and was still just going back to hang out with the kids, right? Yeah. And then also, I remember when I was in high school, I was like 16. And there was this freshman. She was 14. And she was banging this 25-year-old. And I'm thinking, damn, that guy's so cool. I bet your boyfriend's badass. And this, and then I grew up and I look back and I'm like, that guy was a fucking pedophile. Like, yeah. <laughs> and he got yeah, her pregnant like, too by like oh, sophomore yeah. year. Jesus, yeah, that's that's weird though. How your perceptions change like that, right? Like the even in the rehab, we had a lot of teenage girls, and a lot of them had older boyfriends like that, and it's like. These guys are probably the biggest losers you'd ever meet. And, like, they're, they're looking at them like they're so cool, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're so right. Yeah, like, what do you have in common with a 14-year-old when you're 25? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Dude, for sure, like, uh, I'm 30. I'm going to be 33 in August. And I'll talk to, like, 18-year-olds, and I feel so old. Like, they'll, they'll be talking about, like, rappers and shit, and I'm like, ooh, Lil Who, what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Like, it's just as you grow up, like, just your things change, you know what I mean? And you don't have as much in common as someone. You're in totally different places in your life. So it's just, you know, weird. Yeah, but weird, like you're saying, those, those people that never grew up, they never moved forward. So they could probably still relate to the 15 year olds or. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad, but it's, I guess everyone's got to find their own way, right? Everybody's got to make the changes when they're ready. So it's hard to force anybody, but control them the way, I guess, you know what I mean? Give some advice and hope it sticks, but I don't know. You can't save everybody either, right? So mm -hmm. For sure. You could show them the door, but they got to walk in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's sad seeing, I've seen a lot of kids from them, from their like pass away after they left and stuff. And it's, it's always tragic to hear and it's sad, but you can't, you can't really take it personally either, where it's like, you can't feel like you failed them because they, you know what I mean? 
that was like one of the hardest distinctions of that job is like not taking it too personally. Like if someone goes out and screws up, it's not your fault. Right. Like that, that takes a little bit of getting used to. Yeah. Like you tried, but I mean, you can only do so much. Yeah. But it's hard when you're in the field, it's hard to kind of accept that fact, I guess. You know what I mean? Like from, from an outside point of view, it's probably, it's probably that black and white, but it's harder when you're actually in it and you like spend all this time with them and you have high hopes for them. And then you hear bad things when they leave, you know what I mean? But you have to get used to it. And that sucks, man. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, unfortunately kind of became part of the job and I almost got a little bit desensitized to it where it's like, that's horrible, but it's not, I'm going to still move on. You know what I mean? Like mm. it sounds cool to say, but it's like, you almost have to do that. I remember when I first started seeing some of the older staff that had been there for a while in the way they reacted to stuff. And I remember thinking like, I never want to be like that. You know what I mean? But I kind of came to learn that you have to be like that or else you're not going to make it, you know? Yeah. Cause they don't get to you and then you can't help others. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can't take on everybody else's stuff as your own or else it's going to kill you, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow, man. Uh, wow, very interesting. Uh, man, yeah, yeah, crazy life, man. You were kind of a wild child right there, huh? Yeah, back in the day, yeah. <laughs> I had my days, yeah. Well, that's good, man. I mean, yeah, and uh, you have a pretty good talent. I mean, writing and uh, – you know, especially that dark theme. Not not a lot, a lot of people go that dark, but, you know, like, that's fucking awesome. Like, I think it's it's pretty badass. I appreciate that. I think it makes it a little bit more difficult to try to promote myself, just because you said it's not super, you know what I mean, kind of common, but I don't know. I think I'd rather, you know, sell less books and feel like I'm writing what I want to write about than, than switch and try to write something more commercial. I was actually just thinking about that not too long ago, because, like, it's tough, man. It's tough getting out there when there's so many people writing books. Like, how do you make a name for yourself when it's, you know, it's probably the same with you with podcasts. There's a lot of people doing them. Like, how do you stand out? How do you get your work out there? Right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a challenge, but what are you going to do? Give up? You know what I mean? That's not going to happen. So we'll just keep going forward. Right. And then when it comes to content, like, you know, I kind of have that, uh, um, you know, kind of untamed kind of deal. So, I'll talk about wild shit, man. And, you know, it's not for everybody. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's kind of cool. I think it'd be interesting to be like, oh, I'm just going to tune into the show today and see what we got. You know what I mean? Where it's like a podcast that's like only this or only that. You kind of know what you're expecting where, you know what I mean? With your show, it seems like it'd be kind of cool to just be like guessing what, what the one today might be about, you know, which is, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. And that's pretty much how it is, you know, like, I'll be talking about conspiracies or, you know, uh, politics or traffic children and rape them and shit. You know, and a lot yeah. of people don't want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people have, like, kind of underlying, cons- you know, like, want to listen to weird stuff that they don't normally talk about. I think there's, like, a some sort of market for the taboos, you know what I mean, where mm-hmm. people find it interesting, even if they listen to it when no one else is home they might, might still think it's interesting you know I'll, I'll, I'll wait till wait till later <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no that's cool man cool man so where can people find your books man or you got a website or on amazon uh yeah it's on amazon if you just look up my name aaron liebold you'll find it um or it's called genocide 
uh, or it's on the Breaking Rules Publishing uh, webpage. Um, yeah, and if people pick it up, I would love some reviews because it's tricky getting people to leave reviews. So if you buy it and you like it, please drop a review. You hear that, guys? Check it out and leave reviews, man. And uh, yeah, so do uh, uh, you know when your any your other books are coming out? I'm aiming around September to put out uh, my first book. Like my first one that I wrote, second one that I'm going to publish. Nice. Like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of want to give this one some time to to get out there before I put my second one out. So, I mean, it's ready to go, but I, I want to wait. So, I'm guessing around September. Sweet, man. Well, looking forward for that too, man. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, hey, thank you for being on, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been fun for sure, bro. And um, you have a good one, man. All right, you too, brother. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can find me at anchor.fm slash screamingchewygmail.com. There'll be three options for a monthly subscription. First one, I believe, starts at a dollar a month, yo. Yeah, dollar a month. Yeah, and if you don't want to, that's cool. You can follow me on Facebook and YouTube, Screaming Chewy Show, for some memes, some more videos for episodes. And behind the scenes kind of deal, right? You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy, so I should probably change it. But it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace.